Let's pray. God, I ask that this morning as we talk about what matters most to us here in this community, that you would speak through me. You would open our eyes to where it is you're moving and where it is you would like to take us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Well, I, like many people who have moved to the city from somewhere else, get the question often, well, what brought you to New York? And I'm straight up, and I say, I came with my husband to start a new church. And normally people look at me like, what, why in the world would you do that? And one time I told a guy that we had come to start a new church, and he said, oh, so you started your own religion? That's really cool. And I was like, no, no, not that. Um, And people who are going around starting their own religions are probably not as cool as you think. Um, But after he said that, I realized that it wasn't his you know, stupidity that he would say anything like that, but really it was an indictment of where we are as a culture. And in the West, in America, Christendom, the Christian culture, was once central in the United States. And now we live in a time that would be called pluralistic, right? It's a post-Christian culture in the United States, which means that those of us who are attempting to live like Christians, to follow Jesus, we're living much more of an exilic lifestyle than generations past. Exilic meaning exiles, The norms of the eternal kingdom that we, as followers of Jesus, are saying we're a part of, this eternal kingdom of God, those are not the norms of our earthly home. We live in a non-Christian city, and scripture talks about how we're going to live as foreigners among the land. We're living somewhere that's not our true culture and identity. We're living as exiles. And so today, as we look at what matters most the priorities that we believe God has invited this community into in order for us to live the way of Jesus among the nations of New York City. We're going to have a quick theological framework of what it means to live in exile and what God's instructions were specifically to uh, the people from Jerusalem who were taken into exile into Babylon. And so as Rick read, I'll read this one more time. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. And give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So here's what's happening at this point in scripture. Babylon... It's the world power. It is the conquering global empire. It's going around and it is conquering whole civilizations of people. And Israel, as a nation, was rebelling against the Babylonian empire. And so in response, Babylon goes and conquers them again, this time with much more force. And because Israel was so unruly and they resisted so much, the Babylon empire did what... They would always do with unruly societies. They brought them directly into their kingdom with the intent to assimilate. So they said, okay, we're not just going to conquer you here and try and impose our law on you here. We're going to take you out of your home and bring you into our kingdom so that you will start to live 
the way that we do. And they would bring the leaders and the priests, the prophets and the royals, the officials, the skilled workers and the artisans, all of the culture creators. If we can get those who create the culture to come and think like us, act like us, maybe then you will stop resisting and behave and do what it is we we want you to do, therefore adding to Babylon's wealth and power and influence. But because the Israelites in exile knew that this is what was happening, they would choose to settle outside of the city center, try and kind of isolate themselves from Babylon. And so... It would be like if New York City was Babylon and you moved to Long Island, right? Or Staten Island or New Jersey, okay? You're kind of here, but you're not really. And they were expecting that they would be rescued. They were expecting that their prophet would say, okay, stay stay out and don't get comfortable because God's going to come and he's going to rescue you. But that's not what God says, does he? He says, he says, settle down. And so this principle of what it is that God says to the people who are in exile in Babylon is a very important principle for us as a church as we think about the fact that we are living like exiles in our culture. And when we think about what matters most and the things that God has called us to for us to understand this, you can kind of sum it up like this. Don't assimilate, but don't separate and fight for the flourishing of the city. There are a ton of ways that this is fleshed out. How we view our careers, how we leverage our resources, how honest we are about our privilege and where we come from. But today as we we're going to look at four areas in which we can live ex- in an exilic way like God was inviting the people from Jerusalem to live in Babylon deeply embedded in the city of New York, refusing to separate, while at the same time investing in these areas in ways that sets us apart, that speaks a better word to all of those who are needing one. And these four areas that we have chosen to invest in as a church with our time, with our thought, with our resources, because we believe that if we, if we live this way, where we're not assimilating, but not separating, but fighting for the flourishing of the city, in these four areas, we believe that people will see and taste a different gospel that will ultimately transform their life in the here and the now. And so the first area, and again, you hear us talk about these all the time. If you've been around, you've heard us talk about these things. But the first area is the neighborhood. This is the first area where we are meant to live this type of exilic life There's a fantastic book by E.B. White called Here is New York. It was written quite a while ago, and it's just a great snapshot that is still very true today. And he says there are roughly three New Yorks. There is first the New York of the man or woman who was born here, who takes the city for granted and accepts its size and its turbulence as natural and inevitable. Second, there is the New York of the commuter. The city is devoured by locusts each day and spat out each night. Third, there is the New York of the person who was born somewhere else and came to New York in quest of something. Commuters give the city its tidal restlessness. Natives give it its solidity and uh, continuity, but the settlers give it passion. Locusts. Right? You hear that and you think, I know some people like that. 
But it's all too normal for New York City neighborhoods to be good for sleeping and for eating until it gets too expensive. And then we bail. We take what we can from the city, what we can get from a neighborhood, and then we take off. It's very easy to separate from the city or from the neighborhood when it gets too tough. Those who are transplants and commuters often speak of their current residence always in terms of the temporary and home with a capital H just somewhere else. But we believe that a a commitment to a geographical footprint is necessary for the flourishing of the city. And hear me on this. I understand that there are many people, especially in this room, where you know you're here for a short season of time. It's just all that you're supposed to be here for. And I get that. I'm not saying, you know, that that's, that that's like all wrong. But there's something about being committed to where you are while you are there. It's so powerful and so necessary. We believe that the church is meant to be where they are and stay put as long as they can. Listen to what Jeremiah says. He says, plant gardens, eat what they produce. That takes time. That takes multiple seasons. He says, get married, have, have children. Saying, don't Don't expect that you're not going to form relationships. Expect that you're going to form your most vital relationships in your life in this place that you are. And so when we think about that in terms of our church and our neighborhood and where we are, coming to the city, because most of you I know in here didn't start here, expecting that there are going to be relationships here that are pivotal for your life. That this isn't just a place to come and consume and move on, but to start to put down roots. We are for, with, of, and in the neighborhood. When we see that there's something going wrong, we engage. We dig in and we say, how can we advocate for an injustice that's happening? When, when there's someone who has passed away, a mother, a father, a child, we grieve with the neighborhood. We are of the neighborhood and we choose to intentionally go to the places in our neighborhood, even though they're maybe not as good as a place 30 minutes away. We go to Nisi. <laughs> Lord. But we know Smiley because we walk down the street. We know Lieutenant Coleman from Public Safety, and now you all know Angel. (laughs) The reality is that over the last seven years that my family has lived on Roosevelt Island, it has changed a lot. A lot. Kind of amazingly, a lot. It was once a place that was a harbor of safety for those that society had deemed less than, and it is becoming more and more a playground for the wealthy, where the transience just feels inevitable. And so as a church... And as a community, our presence matters. Where we are engaging in the lives of both those who have been here for generations, as well as those who will only be here for a semester or two. And there's someone who has modeled this for me, and that is Lola. Lola is actually not here with us today. But the reality is that Lola, has she's pulled in a dozen different directions. She's not originally from New York, but she's been refusing to act as a locust. Over this last year, I've watched her as her daughter is in school in England and as her job is international, choose to be present and available to this neighborhood. 
And it's been awesome to watch because it's not just new people that she brings in, but she knows the neighborhood as well. She's helping to walk that tension of a changing neighborhood by being present to all different types of people. She's taken in groups of Cornell students and said, come, I'm going to know your name even though you're here for a season and invite you in. Getting them connected here into this church community. And just this last week, we had a group on Wednesday night and she calls me and she says, I was in Food Town, formerly Gristides, and I saw someone that hasn't been at the church in a while, somebody who's been a longtime resident of Roosevelt Island, and I'm inviting them to come and be at group on Wednesday night. She can only do that because she's present, because she's getting to know the people both who are here for a season and those who've been here for generations. It's what it's like to put down roots, refusing to separate, but also not assimilating into the locust-like mentality I want you to hear, too, I know there's some of you, you're like, I don't live on Roosevelt Island. No, this is for where you are, too. This is for in your neighborhood as well. We're meant to be a church where where we are is where we are and not always thinking to the next thing. And so my question for you this morning is how are you for, of, with, and in the neighborhood? How are you doing this? Really a simple action step, if you're right here, is to go April 4th. We're planning to do our egg hunt for the third year here. We've taken it over and providing it to this whole island to come and not just put on, because here's the thing, we can really easily, Kevin and myself and like Melissa, we can, we can put a bunch of eggs out. Whoop-de-doo. Okay? But to actually have people from this community who show up, and engage in conversation and get to know your neighbors and find out where they're from and what they're struggling with and what it is that they need, that's a whole different level. That, that's more than getting candy on a Saturday. So I invite you. Maybe, maybe that's your first step of going, how is it that I'm going to actually engage and be present in my neighborhood with us? Don't assimilate, don't separate, but fight for the flourishing of the city. Next, the next generation. In this city, you bring value for what you do, Right? It's all about what you can provide, how much you can, how much power and influence you have. But the reality is kids don't bring anything. They're often seen as a nuisance, an added expense. It forces people to move out of the city. Or now they're often seen as a status symbol. If you've got a whole bunch, then you must be something special. I can tell you that's not true. Um, yet Jesus is known as a friend of children. Depending on what tradition you grew up in, you might have remembered you know, him on the felt board with the kids sitting on his lap. But that kind of gives you this pandering view of, of children. Jesus didn't pander to children. It talks about how he blessed them. And the same word he used for blessing there is the same word that's used in the traditional Old Testament that talks about how a father would transfer ownership of all of his power and possessions and inheritance to the child. Jesus says in Mark, Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter into it. Assimilation into New York means either sidestepping kids, looking down on them, expecting minimal, just trying to avoid them at all costs, or put such a high value on your own that you'll trample other people down. But for us to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city is to look at the next generation with value and dignity and respect while calling them to something more. And over this last year, it has been a privilege and a joy to watch Vakas embody that. Again, unfortunately, he's somebody who for this month is not here. 
but he's single. I know, he's a weirdo. He's single. He has no children of his own. He has no reason to care for the next generation. None. And yet he stepped into our kids' program downstairs as well as our student program, caring for our next generation. I happened to meet with the Upper East Side Area Director for Young Life, which is a parachurch organization that works with middle school and high school students. And I was asking her about where she gets her volunteers from. And who did she already have? Vacas, right? And then I sat last Sunday in my apartment listening to him engage with middle school and high school kids as they were asking questions about their faith. He was able to sit there and completely validate their questions and answer them as, they were, as they're wondering, what, what is it that's going on? And he's, he just became a Christian a year ago. This is all new for him, but he's sitting there going, you know what? This matters. I'm going to pour into this next generation. We believe that God has invited us to be a place and a church that looks at the next generation differently, with value as image bearers, with the potential to lead us, not just things to manage. So my question is for you, how is it that you can seek the peace and the prosperity of the city through the next generation? It may be that you have a passion, and a, or maybe it's not a passion, maybe it's just a skill set for the next generation that you have been secretly keeping to yourself. And I say, come and bring it. Lead us in that way of caring for the next generation, of investing in our kids, of investing in our youth. Tonight, if you know of any middle school and high school kids, there is a $10 prom, which means they went to the thrift store and um, bought some outfits. My kids went yesterday. They walked over to our children, and accidentally, Liam bought a woman's jacket, and he was just mortified. He was like, I didn't mean to. It's going to be great. But how is it that we, are, that we are not assimilating, not separating, but fighting for the flourishing of the next generation? The next area, the third area, is the nations. And you've probably heard this before, but uh, many atheists and agnostics see other religions, see the world religions as nothing more than an extension of your culture. So if you happen to grow up in India where Hinduism comes out of, well then of course, that's which, what you are, that's what you do. If you're in China and it's, it's Buddhism, you know, of course, that's, that's what you do. But then you get to Christianity. And it's a religion that's founded in the Middle East, but starts to take root in different cultures. And you look at the Chinese church and the way that it ex it's exploding, and it's not meant to make a bunch of Chinese into a Middle East culture. No, it's how is it that you follow Jesus and your Chinese culture? How are you a Chinese follower of Jesus? How are you a South African follower of Jesus? How are you a Brazilian follower of Jesus? That's the beautiful thing about Christianity is you're not, you're not foregoing the culture that you came from, but you're saying, no, with my culture, I come and I learn what it means to follow Jesus. This has been one of my favorite pieces about being a part of the church here in New York City. Absolute favorite pieces is having the privilege of walking alongside so many of you from different cultures and different places and getting to learn what it means for you to follow Jesus fully in your culture. And we have been absolutely blessed over this last year with Jenny, who she's got to talk about herself right now because she is currently translating and interpreting into Chinese um, at the back right here. But she's done everything from organizing events 
of the Mid-Autumn Festival to um, Lunar New Year, giving of her time to translate, helping Hage and Deanna with a growing Chinese small group. And it's been amazing because she's not saying, okay, well, now everybody needs to come and follow exactly like a Western Christianity. It's, no, how is it that we can care for the nations that are here? helping people see value in their own culture that they're coming from. It's been a joy and a privilege to see that, and that's one of the values that we have here, where we don't assimilate, we don't separate. The goal is to seek the peace and prosperity of the city with a commitment to those from around the world. And I know that there is right now the rhetoric that we hear all the time is America first. Right? We're hearing that all the time. And I understand that there is a desire to be brought into that when this is where you're from with all the chaos out there, but the reality is that it stands in contrast to the call of a Christian where our call is to give our lives away for the sake of others. Those who find their lives will lose them, but those who lose their lives for my sake will find them. This is the way of Jesus, and it must be ours. The last area, so you've got neighborhoods, the next generation, nations, and lastly, new churches. Everything in New York is in survival mode, right? Your job, am I going to be able to keep it? Can I sustain this pace? Is somebody going to come in who's better than me? Your housing, can I afford rent when they bump it up next time? Will I ever be able to own? How can I keep paying what it is I'm paying? Your relationship status is probably in survival mode. Your mental health, your kids' future school opportunities, Everything, including churches, often in New York City, are in survival mode. More than 50% of new churches will fail in New York City. Because of the transience of the city, because of the expenses, the fact that we're not in a Christian culture, churches struggle. And they can constantly feel like they need to hoard their resources, whether it's people or finances, in order to make it. But we want to proclaim something different we want to proclaim something different. It's the reason that there's a whole other community of people right now meeting in Sunnyside. Because we believe that there's a way not just to survive, but to thrive by giving of ourselves. We believe in new churches because stats say that new churches attract three to six times more non-Christians than older churches of the same size. And they're looking as they come into a new space of how they can actually bring the kingdom of God to bear by caring for the issues of that area. 60 to 80% of people at new churches were not previously at a church. New churches tend to catalyze generosity for institutions that even apart aren't even a part of the church. And so the thought of giving away resources in New York City is really, really absurd, Right? Giving money or leaders away to start, needs, start new churches seems stupid, <laughs> seems foolish. But that's not what Jesus' paradigm is. He says, if you worry about surviving, you really will. But if you're willing to die, resurrection and new life comes. Spirit-driven thriving can and does happen. And so if you're new with us, we're here at this church. We're almost six years old at Mosaic formerly Hope, just like Gristides, formerly Food Time. Lots of name changes going on around here. And we're by no means wealthy as a church, but Jesus says that thriving has to do with saying no to survival mode. 
We're not going to give into it, trusting that Jesus is building his church. And so I wanted to share with you that as a leadership team, we've decided in a small way to take some of our resources. Unfortunately, they're not a whole lot, but send them with Chris. Um, And so the church in Sunnyside, as well as the church here, we've committed to a couple thousand dollars to go with Chris to help him start what it is that that he's been called to in Chicago. And the reality is we're probably never going to meet any of those people this side of eternity. But we're trusting that as we give our lives away, there'll be a better word. There'll be a better story. We're going to fight for the flourishing not only of our own city, but for another city. What would it look for us to be a what would it look like for us to be a church that existed for the whole neighborhood, not just those who come in here, but for the neighborhood, to the degree that Muslims and Jews and atheists know that we are with them, that we will fight on their behalf for their flourishing, that we will serve for them, we will stand up for them, being honest about what we believe, and that we long for them to know who Jesus is. We're not hiding that giving our lives away for the sake of others, where we don't separate, we don't assimilate, but we fight for the flourishing of the city through the way of Jesus. That is what matters most to us here at Mosaic. And we believe that he's called us into those four areas to give of ourselves. And so honestly, too, I want to say, if there's anything in your heart as you saw Chris, heard him, and you were like, you know what, I want to give to what it is he's doing, I encourage you to do that. Please, even if it would have come here, please give to what it is he's doing. If there's something even crazier and you heard him start talking about Chicago and your stomach flipped and you went, oh my gosh, starting a new church in Chicago? I don't even want to say it because I hate losing people. But here's the reality. If there's something in you that's like, I, I don't know, I think maybe I'm supposed to go to Chicago and go help this guy start this church, go. Please, Go. Follow Jesus into that. We want to be a place that doesn't assimilate, doesn't separate, but fights for the flourishing of the city through the way of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. God, thank you that you are a God. You confound the wise by the way of being foolish, God. You tell us to give our lives away, give our resources away, focus on those that the rest of the world overlooks, God, God, you, you've been so good to us here. And God, I think about, there are so many other things, Lord, that I know that you are about to call this community into. I pray that you would give us wisdom as we look forward to these next few years of what things you want us to be a part of. Thank you, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to receive communion today. And again, in light of our special times, um, we're taking some precautions. And so it's going to be a little bit different. We're not practicing communion by intinction where you take the bread and dip it. But instead, you will be handed with gloved hands a piece of bread and handed an individual cup for you to receive communion from. And this is what we say. This is how we practice the story. This is how as we talk about being a community that empties ourselves out. We look and we remember the one who emptied himself out for us. We come
come and we practice this. We get together and we rehearse this story over and over again as a community to go, no, there's one who's gone before us, who has emptied himself for the sake of others so I can follow him in that. And so I invite you, as the band leads us in this last song, to come and take and remember what has been given for you.